Welcome to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Today we're going to challenge you to think differently and do things differently. To search for what is seen as impossible to do in your field or industry, but if done, would be transformative. To understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Now, here is your host, Jay Allen. Hello, I'm Jay Allen, your host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. In today's discussion, we're going to focus on paradigms, one gate to the future. And one of my favorite quotes definitely applies to this, a Thomas Edison quote, there's a better way, find it. And with my guest today, we're going to discuss his view of paradigms, what he's seen in his work and his life along the way. We will challenge you to step out of your comfort zone and see things differently. We will also examine being open to new perspectives by changing our assumptions and discovering new opportunities. We're so excited to have Joel Barker with us today, who has already led in so many aspects of life. Joel is one of the best-known futurists in the world. He started his career as an English teacher and transitioned to a futurist in 1974. His videos on the future have been translated into 22 languages and seen by more than 100 million people around the world. Additionally, his best-selling book on paradigms is a standard text in more than 100 universities and has been translated into 20 languages. His best-selling videos, The Business of Paradigms and The Power of Visions, introduced important new concepts to the corporate world. And Industry Week magazine referred to his videos as one of the most influential series of programs in the business world. Joel has worked with corporations, even nations, institutions, schools, churches, and the military. He's developed strategic exploration tools to specifically help individuals and organizations explore the future. And Joel was even named by the University of Minnesota's College of Education, one of the 100 most influential graduates in the last 100 years. Today, he's going to talk about the necessity of understanding the role of paradigms in shaping the future. And I've known Joel for quite a while. And one of my favorite Joel Barker quotes is, you can and should shape your own future, because if you don't, someone else surely will. And Joel and I'll probably be discussing today, it'll be a better future if you understand it and shape it with others. Joel, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Great to be with you, Jay. Thank you for participating. And I'm very much looking forward to your insights and thoughts. They're going to be important to our audience as they as the audience considers their own uh, opportunities around paradigms. So a question, Joel, what is the background on how you became a futurist? It's a funny one because it goes back to my age at five years of age. Um, when I was five years old, I decided I want to be a spaceman, and I was serious. So as soon as I learned to read, which was halfway through the first grade, I started going to the library reading books that the librarian would uh, save for me. So I was preparing to be a, a uh, spaceman, and up until age 12, I'd studied so hard that I knew all the planets, I knew all the moons of the planets, I knew escape velocities, I knew rocket engines, I knew rocket fuels. I really knew my stuff. And then I took my first plane flight from Rochester, Minnesota to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 
in which I threw up from the beginning to the end. <laughs> that was an auspicious start. It was a horrible start. And they, the pilot came out and looked at me. My face looked like somebody had punched me with a signet ring. I was bruised all over the place. And he said he cannot continue without a doctor. So I was taken off the plane. My uncle and aunt lived in Milwaukee. They took care of me that night. The next day I took a train to the, to the target uh, location we were going to, which was Rochester, New York. And I realized on that train that a spaceman couldn't very well be a spaceman if he threw up every time he took a plane flight. But here's the thing, I'd started a reading habit that I never lost. And so I read in articles, popular science, popular mechanics, the scientific American, things like that, and kept, kind of kept up with my sense of the future. And then when I was 29 years old, I ran into a futurist. He talked for half an hour, I knew everything he said. I went up and talked to him and he kept saying, Where, where's your source? And I said, popular science. He said, what's that? So I realized I was coming at this from an unusual way. And at age 29, I found my calling based on all the practice that I had done on the way and I was prepared to be a futurist and so I switched. That's a great story. So can, can you connect the dots and give us a little definition of paradigm? I can. In fact, I had my book here. I was just looking at the, what I wrote in the book and it's still the best definition I've got. <clears throat> A paradigm is a set of rules and regulations, written or unwritten, that does two things. First, they establish or define boundaries, and then those rules go on to tell you how to behave inside the boundaries in order to be successful. Success is measured mostly by your ability to solve problems within the territory. Now, that's a fairly erudite definition. I'll give you two simple ones that make much more sense because they're clear instantly. When somebody says, I have a field of expertise, they're talking about paradigms because what does field suggest? Well, it's got boundaries. It's got sometimes has fences and sometimes culverts you can't get around. That's right. So a field of expertise. I'm expert at doing what? What's, what, I, what, what crop I'm growing almost. Almost, but it's also what problems I'm solving. Ah, True. Your expertise is based on your capacity to solve problems. I'm an expert in fill in the blank. This is my field of expertise. It's exactly what I just said with the, the definition, except it's much simpler. All games, for instance, are fields of expertise and are paradigms. Game of tennis is a paradigm. Quantum physics is a paradigm. They both fit in the same set. So with that definition, uh, we were able to apply the concept of paradigms very broadly rather than very specifically. So that's definitely going to impact solutions. And I suppose that gets us into my next question is, when did you really find the idea of paradigm shifts and its importance that you just, that I described and you have also described about solutions? You're going to be, you're going to be constrained. Kind of, but but here's the way I, I came upon the idea. I had a fellowship, which I one of the things I did as soon as I met this futurist is write a fellowship proposal that let me look for future studies education K through 12, and I traveled around the world, picking up new ideas. One of the things that was really important to me was that as I was collecting all these ideas from these various futurists, I noticed. There was 
huge levels of disagreement in terms of what the future would be. And as I was getting close to the end of my fellowship, I said, how can I study this when in fact nobody agrees? And then a guy named Willis Harmon at a speech I was at in Chicago in the fall said, um, I would recommend everybody read The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. And I thought, okay, that's Willis Harmon, so I'll get it. So when I got home, I flew, flew back to uh, Chicago, from Chicago to Minneapolis. And the next day I went to uh, the Luther Seminary where the book was available. I started reading it at one o'clock, at four o'clock, I knew my answer. I realized that what I had was different people with different paradigms and that the structure of my examination would be around the various paradigms different experts were offering. And, that, and, and so in a sense, I found my framework for the discussion. The Science Museum of Minnesota hired me to teach teachers, so I started doing that. And then they asked me to give one speech on paradigms, which I did to an executive uh, group of sponsors for the Science Museum. When I was finished with the speech at the break, 12 of them came down and asked me to come to their companies and give the speech again. So I realized that I had something that wasn't just useful for the museum, it was useful for the real world. That's great. And that also, the concept of paradigms extends into change. Well, it does. That it, it's actually, there's basically two kinds of change that I then studied. One was paradigm shifts, which was changes in the basic rules. And the other was paradigm enhancement. Paradigm enhancement is taking the rules and making them better, more sophisticated, more capable of solving problems. Today, we're just talking about paradigm shifts because that's the most fundamental kind of change that you can deal with. Uh, example, we've all seen two smart people looking at the same phenomenons and describing it in very different terms. That is the result of a paradigm shift because each has their own paradigm. They can look at the same thing and see very different uh, results as a, as, a, as a cause of that. So what paradigm shift did is, and, and I helped it happen, is it gave us a new framework for talking about change. Um, the conversation went from that's a crazy idea to, oh, that sounds like a paradigm shift, tell me more. And so that was a very, very important uh, uh, change that the discussion caused. And I think it was one of the reasons um, it grew so fast is because it helped people deal with a situation that previously before it was, became recalcitrant, became uh, uh, debative. Now it's a question of exploring what they were saying. So it was a, in another, another way of thinking about it, it allowed people to discuss things in a non-accusatory way also. Like your idea is bad or no, your perspective is bad. No, it's like just different. Because what they were accusing of, how dare you talk about things like that when the paradigm we have is doing just fine. So in fact, it, it did change the nature of that conversation. I remember from one of your tapes, a discussion about that uh, way back when, when Galileo ran into that. Oh, yeah. Well, that you know what that tells us too? It says that the idea of paradigm shifts is a historic idea that explains history as well as it explains the present tense in terms of change and how it happened. You think about people winning wars because they changed the paradigm. Um, 
they didn't have that word when they were talking, but that's what they were doing. That would be, uh, that would definitely apply to things like flight. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, it sounds like this really has the impact of changing the conversation. It does. And, and, and what you need to do is to be able to understand some of the key attributes of paradigm shifts in order to change that conversation and have, you know, basically uh, gain the leverage that you have from having a conversation rather than a debate. So let me give you a couple of uh, trigger points key things that, that are useful to know about paradigms. First thing is that new paradigms show up sooner than they are needed. Now, let's think about that for a minute. I've got this great idea. I take it down to my boss or my, my uh, manager or my, my partners, and I say, I've got this great idea. And as they listen to it, they realize that if you are right with your great idea, everything they are good at is going to go away. So the natural response, because it's too soon, is to reject the idea. And you reject it because you don't need it. It turns out that people will accept the idea when their old paradigm has basically become a crisis of failure, where it's not solving the problems that it used to solve, that it's leaving, uh, that it's leaving on the shelf uh, problems that are important but they have not found a way to solve how to apply it. And so the first thing you have to understand about paradigm shifts is they will show up when, you're, when you are still very successful with the prevailing paradigm. So the natural response and the logical response is to reject it. And I, 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 I've experienced in my work with over 120 clients in 13 countries and 20 industries, and I worked with over 2,200 senior execs and their direct reports, and and the, they're supposed to be open, and they're supposed to have a better concept of looking ahead and paradigms, uh, but they're human. And so when people bring in a different idea that upsets their life, so to speak, yeah and especially upsets their expertise. Yep. Uh, and one of my f- favorite people in that is a guy by the name of Jack Knuth. He's in the back of my book, Bucketheads. Uh, and he was the president of an aerospace group for Allied Signal. It was 3 million square feet under one roof, and it was in the... Uh, nuclear weapons complex and he he I was visiting there one day and I heard down this hall Alan get in here and I thought boy I've done it now and I said Jack what's what's going on what's the situation he said well he said you know we've got 700 engineers and scientists we do work with Sandia National Labs we are the best of the best and I got to be the head of this operation of thousands of people because I'm the best engineer and the best problem problem solver in the whole place. And he said, but now my life is turned upside down. And he didn't know to call it a paradigm, but he said, 
now I have to help other people be better leaders and be better at what I used to do because now I'm the leader. And his whole paradigm was turned upside down. Yep, and that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, he had a different set of problems to solve. Yes. The engineering paradigm wouldn't help for that. So that, that, that is, so now think about on top of that, the, the, the new paradigm showing up sooner than you need it, so you don't feel like you need it. Therefore, it's logical to, to uh, walk away from it. Okay, so that's one thing I want you. To, I want your audience to understand is that. Could I just make another comment on that, Joel? Sure. Uh, that's why he's a legend in my book, because he didn't duck it. He was one of those insightful, aware people that noticed what was going on, got ahead of the curve, and uh, that's why he's one of what I call Jay's legends, and. Is there something else that you'd like to add for just about a minute before we take a break? Um, you used a term, which would lead us to the break. Uh, you said he got ahead of the curve. Actually, you can describe a paradigm's lifespan with a curve, an S-shaped curve. And so getting ahead of the curve is exactly what you do when you are, in fact, changing paradigms. You're changing the curve. You're getting, a, you're getting ahead of the old curve and taking a new curve up into the new territory where there are more problems to be solved. That's great. We, uh, I love this talk about changing the conversation. It's so important in not only organizational lives, but in our personal lives, that we, that we have a platform and a way to change the conversation, discuss things, and utilize our experiences and our intelligence in a collaborative, effective, productive way. And thank you for that, Joel. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back from the break, we'll continue our paradigm discussion. And we'll also discuss some of the key learnings for paradigms and paradigm shifts. those great opportunities in your business that you wish you could get done. Your organization is so intensely busy, it's difficult to even achieve the urgent projects. At Masters Alliance Consultancy LLC, our clients have learned to cut the time in half and then in half again and get better results with newly excited associates and execs. The seemingly impossible is possible. We will help you take your organization out of its comfort zone. To energize and embolden your team to champion new thinking, to look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective. To help your team understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss. It's time to take action, create excitement, get in the game, and make a difference in the marketplace with our internationally proven accelerated implementation process. Experience the virtual possibilities. Get in touch with Jay Allen at mastersalliance.com. Are you ready to look at your customers differently, see them from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics, the character of the customer, an advanced approach to understand and connect with customers in new ways. You get new views of the motivations and needs of your customers. You engage your organization in unique, actionable, customer segmentation understanding. 
Masters Alliance will help your team reveal hidden opportunities, identify distinct customer desires, and develop demand-creating value propositions. Now is the time to look at your market through a new lens and chart a new competitive direction. At Masters Alliance, we know that customers are more than meets the eye, and success depends on looking beyond demographics. Visit beyonddemographics.com to learn more. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. We're so excited to have Joel Barker as our special guest with us today. And for those of you that might have turned in, tuned in a little late, Joel is one of the best-known futurists in the world. His vid- videos on the future have been translated into 22 languages and seen by more than 100 million people around the world. His best-selling book on paradigms is a standard text in more than 100 universities and has been translated into 20 languages. And we've been discussing the importance of paradigms, one gate to the future. And Joel, let's pick up. uh, What are some of the key learnings for paradigms and paradigm shifts that you've experienced? And uh, I think you've even uh, contributed to some. Yes. So so just before the break, we were talking about the fact that new paradigms show up before before they're needed. Oh, yes. Therefore, they are uh, often... Uh, rejected. The second thing you need to know about paradigm shifts is that they are typically brought by outsiders. So that is a person who who shouldn't know your paradigm. There are actually five kinds of outsiders, and each is important to understand. One is a young person, fresh out of training, but with no experience, no practice. Think about a person who's been freshly hired you hired them, they walk in a week after or two weeks after you uh, put them to work, and they come in and say, I've got this great new idea for changing all the rules here. Your response would be, the logical response would be, just hold your horses. You've only been here a couple of weeks, wait to see what we're doing, then it'll all make sense, okay? But they are one that, because they haven't seen what's been going on, they see with fresh eyes, they see with clear eyes what's going on. Uh, second person, person shifting fields. They were in sales, they decided to go into research. They were in research, they decided to go into logistics. They were in logistics, they decided to go into human resource development. It doesn't make any difference where they're coming from and where they're going to. They're moving from a paradigm that they know really well to a paradigm they know hardly at all. And they are a category of, of people who do often change paradigms. They see something that the Practitioners, practitioners of the paradigm can't see because they've done it too long. Third category, the maverick insider. These are people who know the paradigm. They understand the paradigm. They don't respect the paradigm. And so they're considered a maverick and they're a problem. And they're always raising challenges about the, what's being done in the organization. But every so often the challenge they raise is a new paradigm and it changes the course of the company and gives the company a new industry, a new product line, a new way to do things that they wouldn't have had without his kind of a maverick attitude. Fourth outsider is a true outsider. 
They are, they have no connection to the company. They have no connection to the old paradigm. They have in fact run into a problem, single problem that is in their way in life. In order for them to get on with their life, they've got to solve the problem. <clears throat> and when they solve the problem, they inadvertently discover a new paradigm. These are the ones of, for instance, um, just to, to make up a little story. Uh, you, the, your telephone rings, you answer it. It says, hi, my, my name is George Haggerty. I'm a farmer here in North Dakota. And I, while I was out plowing, just figured out a new way for you to make a computer chip. And you in, at uh, Intel are going, what you just did, smile and laugh. Can't be serious. Am I gonna take this call? You ought to, because it, there are people like that who do that. In fact, a quick example, uh, Bell Telephone was having incredible sales in all their cities when they first started uh, building their business. Uh, and the biggest problem was that as they extrapolated into the future, by 1910 or 1915, all the women in America would have to be operators in order to make the company work. And then one day, somebody walked into their office and said, I've got a solution for your problem, and I patented it. And it was the dialing system that got accepted and was used for 100 years. The guy who invented the dialing system just happened to be the head of and owned a mortuary. He was a mortician. Can you imagine? Hi, I'm a mortician. I'm here to revolutionize your telephone system. So you can see the dilemma with outsiders is they have no credibility. And because of that, they typically are not listened to at all. Two more stories. I was uh, lecturing uh, a lecturing, that's not, I was having a, a, a conversation with a board of directors of a, of a major oil company. And when I got to number four, I started going on to the next point I was going to make in the, and one of the board members raised his hand. He said, you've left somebody out. And I said, no, I haven't, there are four. He said, you've left somebody out. And I realized I was having a problem with my own paradigm. So I said, okay, let me, let me listen. What, 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 what don't I know? I am, I'm all ears. He said, we have a, a, a partner uh, in the oil business who has a special area where the people in there are actively looking for paradigm shifts on a daily basis. That is what they do at the corporation. And I thought, okay, that is really cool because what they've done is taken the idea of being outside and saying, no, what we really need is people looking for something that's been named. It's a paradigm and a paradigm shift. And so we have the five people now with the fifth being highly proactive to going out and finding the paradigm that will make a difference. The other story I want to tell is about uh, what happened when I was speaking at a research uh, company out East Coast, uh, very famous. Uh, I finished talking and one woman came up to me and she said, you should say one more thing about outsiders. We are very fragile. We will come in and offer our idea once, but if you, if you shoot us down, it's unlikely we will come in the second time. And I said, that is a really important point. Thank you. Did that happen to you? She said, yes, as a matter of fact, it did. I came here and six months into my, my uh, stay, I came up with a big idea. And I said, how would you rank a big idea? She said, $500 million big idea. I said, okay, that makes sense. She said she was so excited, she called the director of the lab and said she wanted to talk to him. And he said, I love my new people. Please come up and see me. I'll, you know, I'll make room for you right away. So she went up with her notes 
They chit-chatted for a couple of minutes, and then in this low of space, she took out her notes, and she said, I had this idea, and she started laying out her, her concepts one at a time as he was looking through. She said he got more agitated by the minute, and finally, after about five minutes, he stood up from behind his desk, walked around, picked up her notes, took her by the arm, walked her to the door, and said, I hope you realize that if you had been here five years, I might consider listening to you, and sent her on her way. I said, whoa, that's pretty harsh. What's happened since then? She said, somebody else came out with the idea. So I said, well, there you go. He didn't listen. I said, how else have things been going? She said, actually, I've had six ideas better than the first one, but I haven't been here five years yet. Reminds me of an experience I had. I, my first uh, job after being a Navy, Naval officer was, uh, which by the way, I was on a destroyer escort and we had to think out of our paradigm a lot, which you would think maybe the military wouldn't have to, but you've worked with the military. You know, that's not true. And so my first job was in Manhattan. I lived and worked in Manhattan and there's a fellow by the name of Hanley Norens. And I was in a conference room up on the 18th floor or something like that in Manhattan. And he was asking for young people's comments and the opposite of what you just described. And so I gave him some comments and then he didn't hear from me. And we had another meeting two weeks later and he said, you've been pretty quiet. And I think I know why. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why? I didn't notice I was being quiet. He said, yes, you were being quiet and you were being quiet because you had three ideas and we've actually begun implementation on two of them. Mm -hmm. And we've never bothered to tell you or thank you or anything else. And I said, I, I, I don't, you know, I was ashamed that it showed up and he came over, stuck his finger in my chest and said, listen, young man, if you don't have enough ideas to give away, then you're never going to make it in Manhattan or London or anywhere else. And he said, furthermore, if you're with a company that doesn't, isn't able to contain your ideas or take care of your ideas, go work somewhere else. I like his thought. If you if you give away your ideas, right, you have no value sitting in your head. But you have to have somebody who will listen. That's the that's the message of the, yeah. the woman. You have to have somebody who will listen. Okay. So second. So first, they show up too soon. Second, they're brought to you by outsiders. Both good reasons to reject them. So when you wonder why a paradigm doesn't shift, there are logical reasons for why they're getting resisted because we're still doing fine with our old paradigm. And this will change all the rules, so we'll have to do all these things. And you have no credibility anyway. The so third just thing. one one question yep. in there is, so what I'm hearing you say, Joel, is this is going to happen with some frequency because that's the way we are built in some way or the other. We all have a paradigm. So what I'm taking away from this is don't be horribly put off by it if you run into it figure out ways to get around it and get your story told. Right. And, and the organization should say, hearing stories gives us, changes our boundary edges. So we're more open. It's more permeable boundaries. And that's practice listening to get, in fact, what I've always said is you probably have to listen to 10 or 20 ideas before you get one that's a big hitter. But if you don't listen to the first 20, you never get to the big hitter. The, uh, the third aspect of paradigms that is really important 
is that paradigms have the ability to blind us to the new ideas. And when I say blind us, I mean literally physiologically getting in the way of our ability to see things, but for sure psychologically, cognitively, where somebody will toss an idea out to you and you'll say, no, that's impossible. We don't do it that way around here. Who gave you the idea that we would want to be interested in that? Those kinds of, of rejection statements are all about blindness. But I want to give one example of true blindness that is kind of staggering, but it's been tested many times and it always turns out the same way. Cognitive psychologists, they're interested in how we, how we think about the ideas of things and how things are formed in our brain. So they wanted to do an experiment between an expert and a novice around the same experiment. So what they wanted, what they took was chess masters, the game of chess, and some people who had never played chess in their life. And here was the task. They gave them a, a board, chess board, with a half-played game. They gave them two minutes to look at that board, and then, it, then they were, it was taken away, and they had to reproduce as accurately as they could what was on that board. What they found out was that if you were a chess master, you would be 99% correct. If you were an innocent, a non-chess player, it was all random. Then they did a second part of the experiment that was really interesting to me because of the paradigm aspect of it. They set up the board, not based on a game half played, but on random positioning of the pieces. They then gave them two minutes to look at it and then to reproduce the, what they saw on a chess board. How do you think the chess masters did? They flunked. Completely. Worse than the people with no practice because the people with no practice said, I'm going to at least get three right and remembered three or four positions. For the chess master, literally at two minutes, some of them hadn't moved yet because they hadn't figured out the game yet. When there was no game, there was no ability to see the patterns. Now think, wow. about, that. think about that in terms of people making big mistakes, decision mistakes in organizations, looking for the pattern when in fact it wasn't even there. That's... That's remarkable. It's uh, what what I hear in this discussion is the resistance to these new ideas. Uh, another aspect of paradigms is our own resistance is hidden to us. Perfect. Exactly right. I'm, I'm glad you, you think about this. On all three of these cases, it isn't you're saying this is an outsider, therefore I will reject them. You just do it because it makes sense. It's the, it's the logical answer to the question, which is you're too, here too soon. So one of the reasons that the, the films of the, my film of the paradigm were so useful is because it gave people a place to find themselves. We have all played the resistor. We've all played the resistor, right? And I'm willing to bet almost all of us have been an outsider at some time as, as well. And had things rejected because we were too young or, or inexperienced or uneducated. So those are important things to do because if you know these things, you can then catch yourself. Oops, I should be listening to this even though we don't need it right now. It's a paradigm shift. Oops, I should be listening to her because she's suggesting a way, totally new way to do something that we're having difficulty with. I better be careful when I say I can't see it because it may very well mean that I'm not looking, that my paradigm is blinding me, blocking it. Joel, if, if, if we practice that, in other words, we, we really work to understand the concepts that you're discussing, that 
are so valuable to opening our minds and making them more permeable, not only our boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but is there a is there a muscle part of that? In other words, if we practice being open more and more, do we actually develop a better paradigm breaking muscle? We do. It is because the practice is uh, widening your vision. Um, and that's what happens when you listen to people and hear these. And, and plus, if you're looking for that kind of change, uh, you have a better likelihood of finding it. You know, so in a, in a sense, you, you listen for paradigms just because you know what they are. Could, could you mention before our break one of your favorite current paradigm shifts? Oh, I'll give you two for one. Okay. Elon Musk decided he would get into the car business and build an electric car. What was his background? It sure as heck wasn't cars. It was PayPal. Total outsider saying, I'm going to build an electric car and it's going to be so good that I'm going to sell hundreds of thousands of them. And everybody laughed at him from the auto business and said, who do you think you are? Elon Musk again. By the way, while I'm doing that, I'm going to start a spaceship company. And part of my job with the spaceship company is, is it's going to be able to land its boosters so that they don't throw them away so we can run our spaceships much cheaper. And NASA said, you can't do that because we couldn't do that. And about his fifth try, his boosters landed, and he had all of a sudden changed the paradigm of space flight. How's that? That's outstanding. It's uh, And there are so many of those around if we stop to think about them. So I think one of my very critical takeaways, going back to uh, getting to the future on time and an idea of if you if you become better at this paradigm thinking and being more open, you're going to get to the future ahead of time. And not, not all bad. <laughs> no, it's not it's not all bad. And it it's it's so exciting. And I say in my book that people want to work at a place and be involved in something where there's something cooking. And I use the word C-O-O-K, apostrophe I-N, something cooking. And so when, when a culture changes a little bit and the exec set the example and there's an expectation of listening and an expectation of, well, maverick ideas, to use that word. And that's where the excitement is. That's, that's how... Something cooking gets started. Yep. And we have to take a break in a couple of minutes, but I want to come back and, and continue our discussion. Are you ready to break the mold, discover your business edge, and get to the future on time? Then take the bucket off your head and transform something. Opportunities are everywhere. Drawing on key principles from his award-winning Bucketheads book, Jay Allen and his team at Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, will support you as you take your organization out of its comfort zone, energize, and embolden your team to champion new thinking, to look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective, discover your organization's outlook on the future. 
Does your team understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss? It's time to take action, create excitement, get in the game, and make a difference in the marketplace. Get in touch with Jay Allen at mastersalliance.com. Get your copy of Bucketheads today, available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. See more at bucketheadsbook.com. Are you missing business opportunities? Take the bucket off your head and see your business differently today to get the results you want tomorrow. From Jay Allen, founder and CEO of Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, the Bucketheads book is the ultimate business guide to excite your organization to market-changing thinking and actions. Drawing on 30 years of experience working with executives in 20 different industries and 13 countries, Jay Allen reveals strategies to connect with customers, markets, and suppliers in game-changing ways. Bucketheads will show you how to step out of your comfort zone and transform your business. Winner of Independent Book Publishers 2020 Gold Medal for Best Nonfiction Ebook. Bucketheads helps business leaders like you champion innovation and ignite the fun of achievement. Get your copy of Bucketheads today, available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. See more at bucketheadsbook.com. Are you intent on gaining a new competitive edge in your markets? Are you looking for innovative ways to engage customers and inspire your team to grow your business? Masters Alliance Strategic Management Consulting Firm brings 30 years of experience partnering with clients in over 20 industries in 13 countries to achieve breakthrough business results. Jay Allen and his team of professionals can help your organization discover new opportunities and create solutions to produce a lasting impact in your markets. Masters Alliance will work with you to engage employees, customers, and suppliers to reveal new competitive situations and accelerate how you get things done. Our team brings fresh, multi-industry perspectives and a track record of excellence to help you accomplish significant business goals. If you're ready to set your business apart and make a difference in your markets, visit MastersAlliance.com to learn more. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. It's great to have Joel Barker with us. He's our special guest today. And he's one of the best-known futurists in the world, and we've had a great discussion on paradigms. And his best-selling book on paradigms is actually a, sta a standard text in more than 100 universities and has been translated into 20 languages. And we've been discussing paradigms and their importance and impact not only on our lives, but as we contrast between being open to ideas and not being open to ideas, obviously, they impact our world. And Joel, I wondered if you could chat a minute about uh, this idea of paradigm shifts and when they, how does that concept work in your words when people go, when things go back to zero? Well, that was a rule I created. Thomas Kuhn in his book did not have any of these things because he was focused on science. I saw the, the larger cultural organizational implications, and this is one of them. Um, one of the dilemmas that successful companies have is that they assume that they can 
gently move from one paradigm to another. They don't even talk about it. They just talk about making transition, you know, uh, changing topics, changing focus. And what I said was, what you have to understand is when anybody goes through a paradigm shift, they go back to zero. And what I mean by that is all the skills, all the talents, all the things that they were good at in the old paradigm may not be useful at all in the new paradigm. And as a result, it says, if you are fresh to the new paradigm and you're not in that, and it's not replacing your old paradigm, you actually have a better chance at starting and succeeding than if you, you had the prevailing paradigm before and the new paradigm shifted that paradigm. It is so difficult because it's, it's what we're committed to and it's what we've invested in. It's what we're known for, our brand. All these things go with the prevailing paradigm and now it's a different thing. So what you have to remember is when a paradigm shifts in your industry, everybody goes back to zero. Shifts in your business, everybody goes back to zero. Shifts in your institutions, everybody goes back to zero. And so what I kind of like about it is it recalibrates almost democratically the, the race. Before it was, it was too costly to get into the business. Now anybody can get into the business because of the change of paradigms. So it levels the playing field. Yes. And, and yeah. when we see that, we better jump on it. At least know that you don't have an advantage that you thought you had. Well, that's the true the other way, too. If you're, yeah. if you're the lead dog, then you didn't, your advantage is lost. If you were the fourth in place, now's the opportunity to jump on it. Exactly. So one of the questions I like to have people ask themselves as an organization is, what could put us back to zero? Mm. Sears didn't come up with the right answer because it was Walmart. AT&T didn't come up with the right answer because it was the Internet. Surgeons didn't come up with the right answer because it was Da Vinci robots. Sony got screwed, pardon my language, by the flat screen TVs because they were really good at making the old tube type of TV. And what you see is the list of those who were put back to zero, Motorola, went from a third of the world's cell phone sales to less than 10% in just two years because they didn't go digital. Uh, the list goes on and on. So what I say is be sensitive, watch for, but you gotta ask yourself, what could put us back to zero and identify those things. So that's- and Speaking of Mar Motorola, even the successor company, Nokia, didn't learn from that. Right. <laughs> well, Nokia, Nokia got in at the, Nokia was the replacement, you know, for AT&T. Right. And so they joined at the right time but then they didn't make the next leap. They didn't make right. The That's leap. my point. That's right. So you would you would think that that lesson would be learned. No, you wouldn't, but, because I did. I did. I spent three years with Motorola teaching them about paradigm shifts, and they still screwed up. <laughs> so, so it tells you it tells you how strong these things are in terms of the prevailing paradigm. Right? People would rather write it down than get off. So, you know? so that brings us to an important point, Joel. And that is, since it's so prevalent, to even ignore the learnings, uh, what are your takeaways on how we can better learn to notice things uh, that are connected to the future and, and have the context? Well, Jay, and you used a very good term. How do we notice better? So that's exactly what I'm going to talk about here because they are, they are action items that we can do. First thing you want to do is talk with your salespeople. And say to your salespeople, when you're working with our customers, watch what they're doing with our stuff and watch what they're doing with other things. Because quite often they are taking something that 
is not that good, not optimized, and trying to make it work. And then the results are actually playing with paradigm shifts. So I say, make your salespeople your distant scouts to see what's going on out in the environment beyond your industry. Second, remember that things show up sooner than they're needed. So be ready to accept the sit down that you're gonna to have to have with that person because they're ahead of their, ahead of their time. Um, Macintosh computer almost didn't make it because it was so far ahead of itself as a graphical user interface. They just barely squeezed in, so, so they did right. By the way, Jobs never made that mistake again. I, iTunes, perfectly timed. iPhone, perfectly timed. Fourth, set aside an hour every week for anyone to come to your office and talk to you about a better way of doing things. Make sure that you put down whatever you're working on and take notes. That shows you are listening. Now, I, gotta, I have a quick story for this. I would work with Marriott. Told them this thing to make a space every week and invite people to come in with their ideas. I was at the Marriott in uh, Boston and the manager pulled me over and he said, hey, I did what you said. I went, I've been lecturing, not lecturing, but welcoming our new hires and telling them I'm open every Thursday afternoon from three to four. If they have any ideas or they see any better way of doing things than we're doing right now, come talk to me. I said, how's it working for you? He said, I've had more new ideas in the last six months than I had in the last six years. People are loaded with ideas. It's the invitation that makes a difference. Have a time, have a place, and wait for them to show up. Once you start listening, they'll show up. Uh, fifth one, build a reading group. Read outside your field. Invite them to, invite people to come and join you, and what you're asking them to do is give them maybe 10 things to watch for that, while they're reading, but the idea is to get them to read outside the field, looking for new ideas, that could be incorporated into their own situation. And I'm gonna say something about a piece of software here too before we go on. On that one, there's a piece of software called Scoopit, S-C-O-O-P dot I-T, that will allow you to collect any digital articles and hold them in a very neat and, and useful way so that people can save with almost no effort and then search with almost no effort. It's a great program for for getting readings captured. Six, on a regular basis, get your group together, get a group together of your people and ask this following question. In our business, what is impossible to do, but if we could do it, would fundamentally change our business for the better? That is a paradigm shift question because if it's impossible to do, that means it's outside the boundaries. And if it'll change fundamentally, that's changing at the roots, which is the kind of change that paradigm shifts cause. This conversation is probably once a year useful and you just work through groups, don't have so many people that people can't uh, share their idea. But it's, it's, a, it's, uh, it's, been, it's such a good question that's been stolen by multiple uh, consultants. So I consider it, it must've been pretty good. I'm one of them. Well, thank you. I've used that question for years, and it really tells a lot about a group. It really tells a lot about a senior executive team, and it it kind of separates the sheeps from the goats, I want to tell you. Yep. One quick example. I was working with a company that made cutting tools for making metal parts. It's a subtractive part. You basically cut the metal away until you have the piece. This was in 1986 or 87. I asked them the, this, this question. 
and somebody instantly answered, uh, additive manufacturing was the term they used. And I said, what is that? And they said, adding material slowly but surely until you have the part, no waste. Today we call it 3D printing. They were 20 years ahead in their imagination, but yet they were right. It is now replacing additive manufacturing. Oh, and you know, I don't know why I would miss this. The one other thing you should do is show your people my video. <laughs> well, Joel, uh, would you tell us how we can get that video? Yes, starthrower.com. Just like it sounds. One yes. word, starthrower.com. Yes, and I think there may be a sale on it. <laughs> well, remember, uh, those videos have been viewed by 100 million people. They are award winners. I've used them myself. It's, it's just a, it's, it's a mind changer. It is. Your videos are not it. Your videos are mind changers. Jay and they're told me that in one step, but when they started one point when the film began and they ended in a totally different place by the time 27 minutes had passed. Mm -hmm. So I know for a fact that people say this changed my life. So one of the things I wanted to mention that I actually wrote down while we were talking is how exciting is it? How exciting would it be? It's not a question of you, it's of the audience to be a, a paradigm breaker or a paradigm searcher because that seems like a quest that's worthwhile in anyone's career, whether it's in government or nonprofit or for-profit, large organizations, small organizations, I can see that that ought to be a teaching in a family. I'm thinking of kids and grandkids, helping them to see things differently, helping. I have a, I have a little thing going with my, one of my grandsons on, on being a better noticer. And he says, Gramps, you didn't notice this. And I say, Charlie, you didn't notice that. And so we have that challenge. Uh, Joel, I really appreciate it. It's time to uh, close up here. And I wish we could go on forever. But Can I leave just one remember. One thought, simple. Yes. A leader is a person you, who you will choose to follow to a place you would not go by yourself. So the leader goes first, you follow. You manage within a paradigm. You lead between paradigms. That's wonderful. And remember, Joel's video are available on starthrower.com. And a recording of this show will be available on voiceamericalibrary.com. It's voiceamerica.com. And remember, you can follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook or masters at mastersalliance.com. And we thank you for listening, and we appreciate being having the privilege of being with you today. Please tune in next week, Thursday, 10 to 11, Central Standard Time. And thank you, Joel. Thank you for listening to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Next week, we will have more takeaways for your business success. So please join us next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.